0: It's time for Hayden Donnell to join us once again. He's been away for a little while, but he's back for midweek media watch. Kira, Hayden.
1: Kira, Brian.
0: You want to talk? You want to talk um, pandemics first?
1: Pandemics first, yeah. Uh, the se- semi-regular criticism that the media gets, which is that it is undermining the. Government's COVID 19 response or the country's COVID 19 response. And there was a recent uh, time that this cropped up on Monday. RNZ printed a story about Act leader David Seymour calling for government to transition from elimination to suppression, and that received Quite a reaction. Uh, The microbiologist Susie Wiles, who's obviously been in the news uh, lately, she said that it was undermining our COVID response. And that was a reasonably common refrain. We've seen it levelled at the media repeatedly, I think, over the last 18 or so months, usually over stories that are critical of the government.
0: Um, I guess... I'm thinking about also the stories about Susie Wiles um, going to the beach and whether that also undermined our COVID-19 response. And I'm talking about the media coverage of that.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure that that uh, could be constituted. uh, There's different ethical questions about that media coverage, but probably... uh, there's, def- there's definitely different ethical questions about that because it was sourced from Cameron Slater, who's obviously been reasonably discredited over, for multiple reasons, most uh, prominently dirty politics. I'm not sure it's about undermining the response so much as just whether it's a non-story or not. And uh, in this, in, in this, there, There's other other stories really get this criticism for undermining the response, and it's anything that really questions elimination, suppression, that kind of stuff. And I've kind of got complicated feelings about that criticism. So I guess on the one hand, the media does have this role in keeping people safe and not furnishing them with debunked or flimsily sourced information uh, during a global pandemic where literally their lives could be online as a result of what they read or what they believe. So I don't think the media has always lived up to that calling throughout the entirety of this 18 or 19 or 20-month response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And you might remember far, far back, I'm in Auckland, so far, far back to the early days of this Level 4 lockdown when a series – do you remember this? A series of media outlets rushed to feature just a plethora of blowhards from Britain with little connection to New Zealand or expertise on our COVID-19 strategies.
0: The whole thing of Level 4 for one case, we've gone mad in New Zealand kind of thing.
1: Absolutely, Britain coming in, Nigel Farage, Douglas Murray – I, mean, and overall, I have a lot more
0: sympathy for um for what a, a, a member of the New Zealand Parliament and a leader of a New Zealand political party um, might have to say about the situation, particularly if he represents a lot of people who make their livings from business, which he probably does.
1: Yeah, Exactly. It was kind of a baffling parade of commentary from Britain that we just kept elevating and elevating. And I'm not sure why it happened, but one of the most prominent critics, uh, he's actually an Australian, but coming out of Britain, the Adam Smith Institute, was a, a guy called Matthew Lesh. So just, just as a reminder, here's what he had to say on the AM show. Much of the rest of the world is watching on with bafflement, thinking we're moving on from COVID. We've accepted that we have to live with some level of ongoing risk. We're going to vaccinate. We're going to save as many people as possible. But life is not a a zero risk proposition. um, And we have to get on with things eventually. We have to learn to live with the virus.
0: Now, um, uh, Hayden, I've got a theory about the coverage of of all that stuff back at the start of the level four lockdown. That was It sometimes gets us clicking in New Zealand when people say bad things about us especially when they've got Australian accents, gets us all riled and we want to read that stuff because it makes us angry.
1: You're, you're absolutely right, Brian. And, and and I think this is really a point where you've got a few different media values coming into conflict with each other because, yes, you're right, The 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 media's model – Uh, with these kind of stories is that look it gets traffic and you can sell traffic to advertisers and obviously that's the business model and you need to do that because you're in tri-financial dire straits and so uh, you have the situation where maybe people who hold a contrarian view or people who are critical of the approach are elevated just because their points are interesting or because they cause debate and that Gets the people who are angry at what they're saying getting into the story, and it gets the people who agree with what they're, getting, is what they're saying getting into the story. And, uh, you know, I think there's probably another instinct at play here as well. It's not just, you know, the controversy clicks that you're seeking. There is kind of like this more, I guess, noble news ideal at play here as well, where, where the media has an instinct where it wants to hold the government to account and it wants to, uh, you know, it wants to put forward critical views that oppose what the government is saying just so that, because that's their role in society. They're provoking open debate. They're trying to criticize the strategy so that it will strengthen it. And they're, they're, that's noble in a way, but it has this point where you're seeking balance or you're, or you're seeking clicks where sometimes fringe views or uh, outlandish views can be elevated disproportionately to their value (laughs) right so we've seen that play out especially of course the major example is climate change where for years we had climate change deniers being quoted quoted alongside actual scientists and that was out of these two values you know because Mm. they're interesting and because and because uh you want to provide a countervailing view to what that's
0: that's uh, the so-called we we've got to balance things here um, Yeah, exactly. But
1: instead, what you do is distort the picture because, you know, what we think is 99% true is then given 50% of the space.
0: I mean, go back to the 1930s. Jews in Germany um, are worried about Nazi Party policy. What do you think about this, Mr. Hitler? (laughs)
1: We've you know, got wind. The... We've got wind immediately, haven't we? Yeah, um, we've written yeah, better yeah, than but, that now. But you know, it's, it's that sort of thing though, isn't it? Right. You've got where it... there is a truth. Sometimes there is something that is more true and it should be elevated above the thing that has been more debunked.
0: Now, Des Gorman is one academic who's been pretty critical for government over its COVID nineteen response. Now, yeah, I think you've got a sound
1: grab from him that you wanted to share with us? Yeah, so this is one of the more borderline calls. I don't think this isn't like these blowhards from Britain. This is a reasonable person. But here's uh, Des Gorman being interviewed by Heather pussy Allen again this week. But right now, Emeritus Professor of Medicine at Auckland University, Des Gorman. Hi, Des. Good day, Heather. Is this lockdown working? No, uh, sadly not. So succinct. Definitive and quite possibly (laughs) wrong. So now, this is an interesting one. So Gorman has been a regular media commentator throughout this pandemic. And fair enough, he's an emeritus professor of medicine at Auckland University. It's a pretty big title. He's got a pretty, pretty big brain. But some have called his expertise... And to question on this issue, for for one thing, it seems to be that his major expertise is in scuba diving medicine and brain injuries, which, you know, you wouldn't think applied directly to pandemic management or epidemiology, for instance. And his own head of department, Ian Reid, has made a point of distancing himself from what Gorman has said over the course of the pandemic, saying he doesn't agree with the majority of his public statements on COVID-19 management in New Zealand. So... This is an interesting one where he has these academic qual maybe a bit like Simon Thornley of Plan B, where he has these academic qualifications, but actually he's been proven, or maybe "proven" is a hard word, but his his uh, his some of the things that he said have been pretty questionable
0: <laughs> over has the course
1: of the pandemic. Maybe wild, also boils, against-
0: boils down to possibly. the fact that if if we just const, I mean, we're not going to be perfect in the media. And no. And if we decide, oh, this academic now isn't isn't is out of line with all the other academics, um, is the, I mean, in the end, we have to maybe acknowledge that sometimes the messages that come across are not perfect for whatever in terms of the public the public good, but they are. Maybe the best we can do in terms of canvassing a wide range of opinion, which might help the public to make up its mind in the best possible way.
1: Yeah, I think so. And this is where that editorial judgment comes into play as well. Are we elevating this person because he's mostly right or because he's controversial or because, you know... the you know, or or does he represent a minority view that's being elevated just because it is more interesting than the majority view. And that's something that we have to consider and weigh up, I think, before making these editorial judgments. I think just with this in particular, when there's a guy that's made pretty inaccurate or, uh, uh, you know, questionable pronouncements throughout the pandemic, it's kind of like economists who keep saying that house prices are going to go down or something. I think they should probably come with a caveat. Uh, that maybe it's not. There's also just stuff that's totally impossible to defend. <laughs> Today the Herald posted a full story and video just focusing on Brian Tamaki telling his followers to do away with their masks, which is obviously mm. scientifically uh, worthless and just dangerous to print. There wasn't really a lot of countervailing opinion from anyone. It was just elevating what Brian Tamaki had to say. Yeah. And uh, it was just, uh, there's no real reason to do that. Because crazy of Brian so think, is
0: also uh, getting people clicking, isn't he?
1: Yeah, exactly. Now, and last so, last Yeah, last... maybe those things, maybe. Undermining the response is the allegation there.
0: Hayden, but
1: we've I, got... f- I find that terminology really, um, I find I find that undermining the response is a very difficult term for me, and it comes with authoritarian overtones, which I don't particularly like.
0: Hayden, we've got less than uh, two and a half minutes now, and last, like last week, I want you to say, if you've got a, a, a bouquet for somebody in the media, like I asked Colin last week, you got two minutes, something good that the media did this week, this past week.
1: Yeah, we're trying to turn media. I actually wrote this into um, the notes for tonight. I do have media plaudits. I, I just remember back a couple of weeks ago, we actually did have a death as a result of the vaccine from myocarditis, inflammation of the heart muscle. And in some countries, we've seen, like, particularly with the Murdoch press, uh, that. Uh, these cases have been used to fan the flames of vaccine hesitancy. In the US, for instance, we've got these hosts with millions of viewers uh, promoting vaccine hesitancy, spreading misinformation. We didn't have that here, and actually I think the media has in general really done its best to clamp down on anti-vax misinformation and to just promote the worth and efficacy accurately of the vaccine. So I think that that that's something our media has done really well. Another thing that the media done really well, you might remember last time we had a lockdown, we had a whole bunch of entrepreneurs uh, on the news. Uh, there was a memorable incident where Craig Heatley, the founder of Sky TV, uh, told Kerry McIver that he had uh, he got 8 out of 100 in UE biology and then spent the next 8 minutes lecturing us about epidemiology. Uh, <laughs> that hasn't happened this but he's right. I, haven't enough. As much entrepreneur, I haven't seen as much of that. He's rich. That's one thing that, that, that counts in his favour in terms of qualifications to speak in the media. But uh, I know we may not have achieved total elimination of this uh, armchair epidemiology, but we have at least flattened the curve this.
0: <laughs> Hayden, thanks so much for joining us again and great to have you back on. Thank you so much. Hayden now with Midweek Media Watch. There'll be a, a weekend edition of Media Watch this coming Sunday morning.